the divine voice. We've heard it thunder from Zeus and seen it play out in the machinations of the Olympic gods. It also appeared when the gods seemed to be losing their grip on the population. Socrates lived at a time when Athena and others guided events. He joined in their worship, but he also had guidance from a personal divine voice called a daemon. The supernatural spirit steered him between right and wrong. The word sounds a lot like demon. Some of you may remember the phrase, the devil made me do it. Socrates' daemon was just the opposite. It suggested the right course of action. In this episode, we talk about how the Olympic gods sometimes morphed into a personal god. Put another way, the god's voice at times was heard in someone's mind. Socrates was a recipient and always was upfront about his daemon. Later Latin writers called the spirit his genius loci, which meant it was Socrates' presiding god. Having divine contact with the god was especially ironic for Socrates because he was sentenced to death for being impious. This is episode 42 of Garner's Greek Mythology. We have listeners from 161 countries, so welcome to everyone wherever you are. I'm your host, mythologist Patrick Garner. Some of these stories about the gods have been told for thousands of years, but now there are new stories that are as compelling. Check out my books on Amazon about the gods in the contemporary world. You can also read about them and this podcast at patrickgarnerbooks.com. And as always, this podcast focuses on one thing, Greek gods, of course. They, like you, are here now. Socrates is commonly called the father of philosophy, and as such, the basis of modern Western thought. He clearly inspired numerous free thinkers in his lifetime and beyond. Before we discuss Socrates' daemon, let's set the stage. He was born in Athens around 469 BC, where he lived, taught, and was executed at age 70. Other than to occasionally fight as a soldier, he rarely left the city. He called himself a gadfly, someone who constantly irritated others with his questions. All of that said, most of what we know about him comes from two sources, and both were his former students. One was Xenophon, who went on to become a soldier. As a source, Xenophon is not held in high regard, although he made a statement about truth that resonates still, and that is, no human being will ever know the truth, for even if they happened to say it by chance, they would not know they had done so. The second source was Plato. He became as famous as Socrates. Plato attended Socrates' trial in 399 BC and went on to write a number of books about his teacher. Many modern scholars consider Plato's works to be largely fictional, depicting an idealized Socrates. Fortunately, we have a third source, 
a Greek named Plutarch, who also wrote extensively about Socrates. But Plutarch lived more than 500 years later, so he had no firsthand knowledge. To further complicate things, Socrates himself never wrote a word. Consequently, many of the thoughts of one of the most important thinkers of ancient Greece may be a creation of others. But all who wrote about him agreed about one thing. He was inspired and guided by his daemon. Of Plato's many works about Socrates, the Apology is considered to be the most likely to reflect Socrates' own words. It covers Socrates' trial. Socrates was accused of impiety and of corrupting the youth of Athens. Either charge could lead to a death sentence. Of the impiety charge, he was accused of failing to acknowledge the gods that the city acknowledges and of introducing new deities. He denied both accusations and chose to defend himself, speaking to a jury of over 500 of his fellow citizens. During the trial, when he was accused of mocking the gods, he argued that such a charge was baseless. He said, you have often heard me speak of an oracle or sign which comes to me. The sign is one I've had since I was a child. The sign is a voice which comes to me and always forbids me to do something which I may be about to do, but it never commands me to do anything. If we are to believe Plato's recollection of Socrates' defense, the great philosopher openly admits to being guided by a divine voice. In Plato's book, The Republic, Socrates says, in my own case, the divine sign is hardly worth mentioning, for I suppose it has happened to few or none before me. Many of today's academics suggest this divine sign is nothing more than a metaphor for his conscience, but it's far more likely that Socrates was being literal. The 20th century scholar Julian Jaynes suggested how ancient peoples may have had a direct connection in their brain with a god. Therefore, Socrates could have experienced an actual voice of a godlike spirit. Socrates also used the term oracle to explain some of the guidance he received. The ancient Greeks regarded an oracle as a person or thing that was an infallible authority. Although Socrates had a personal daemon that guided him, it was another oracle entirely that brought him to initial fame. Here's what happened. One of Socrates' friends approached the oracle of Delphi, asking for the name of the wisest person in the world. The Delphic oracle said simply, Socrates. When Socrates himself found out that his name had been uttered by the oracle, he tried to prove the pronouncement wrong as he considered himself to know nothing. The oracle's statement started him on a lifelong quest to find wiser persons than himself. He spent decades searching out wisdom in others by asking them questions, 
The method he used was already known in Greece. It was called maiutics or midwifing, which was an attempt to give birth to the latent truth inside a person. This led to what is called the Socratic paradox. The paradox is that the wisest man alive said, I know one thing only, and that is that I know nothing. Put this into perspective. Astonishment at his statement led to the founding of philosophical schools such as skepticism, stoicism, and cynicism. Let's return to the trial of Socrates. Plato notes that he openly discussed his daemon. Unfortunately, it may have been misinterpreted by the common Athenian as a dangerous spiritual being. Only Socrates could hear the voice, and he rarely spoke of what he heard. In reality, many Athenians felt threatened by Socrates. Like two sides of a coin, while they were alarmed at this mysterious voice, his students looked upon the gift with admiration. I should note that the influence of a daemon actually began earlier than Socrates. While Socrates is often deemed the father of philosophy, he's used as a starting point. Thinkers before him became known as the pre-Socratics. The pre-Socratic writer Heraclitus is understood to refer to a daemon when he said, ethos anthropos daemon. That's usually translated as character as fate, but could just as well be character is to a man his daemon. So we see that the mysterious daemon was ancient and offered wise advice. The daemon publicly reappeared in Rome to guide one of the first emperors. In the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, the daemon makes a dramatic appearance. Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor between the years 161 and 180 AD. His writings are widely admired even today. The Meditations was actually his personal journal and was really no more than a collection of personal reminders. They were meant to aid him in keeping to the stoic virtues of wisdom, prudence, courage, and justice. Such journals were common in that period. A particular interest is that he refers in his journal to a daemon being inside of himself and says that such daemons were inside of every human. Marcus Aurelius, in line with Stoic thought, believed all of humanity to be essentially rational while being simultaneously ignorant. He attributed ignorance to evil actions and behaviors while the wise faculty intrinsic to all humans is the daemon. He writes, I live with the gods, for he who does so constantly shows to them that his own soul is satisfied with that which is assigned to him, and that man should do all that the daemon wishes, which Zeus has given to every man for his guardian and guide, and which is therefore a portion of himself. Consequently, this daemon is every man's understanding and reason. Elsewhere in the meditations, he writes, 
no misfortune can harm me without the consent of the demon within me. As we see, Marcus Aurelius felt the constant presence of this daemon, his personal guide. This belief, common to both Socrates and Marcus Aurelius, is a constant thread between the Greek and Roman traditions. According to Stoicism, the whole universe was Zeus, and was destined for a never-ending cycle of destruction and rebirth. Stoics thought that the portion of ourselves capable of rationality was a portion of Zeus, or of divinity. So this universal divinity was what they considered the highest of the gods of their time. And this divinity was also called the Logos, which referred to an all-pervasive, active intelligence that animated the world. The daemon in the system of thought was intrinsic to humanity and what was what gave humans the ability to reason. For Socrates, the divine voice was responsible for keeping him passionate about wisdom-seeking life. And for Marcus Aurelius, the daemon guided his actions and conduct. The emperor's every decision was influenced by this living spirit. So far, we've discussed the writings of Plato, Xenophon, and Marcus Aurelius. As a further resource, we have Plutarch's work. He was heavily influenced by Plato. Much of Plutarch's work was an attempt to refresh and reinterpret Plato. Like Plato and Socrates, Plutarch was an Athenian citizen and spent much of his life between Athens and Delphi. But why Delphi? Plutarch served there as a priest for the oracle. As such, he had firsthand insights into how the gods worked through divine intermediaries. Apollo's priests at Delphi fit that role as they channeled Apollo's declarations and prophecies. Crucially, Plutarch recognized that a daemon served the same purpose. In Plutarch's view, Socrates' daemon simply happened to be a presiding god that guided the great philosopher in his daily life. Plutarch writes, What shall we think of his daemon? It was joined to Socrates even from his cradle, guiding him in all the actions of his life. The daemon often discoursed with him, presiding over and by divine instinct, directing his intentions. Plutarch continues, what was the substance or power that the famed daemon held over Socrates? In response, he has a student of Socrates reply, I once asked Socrates about it and received no answer, so I never asked again. But then the student went on, I often heard him declare men to be vain pretenders who said they had seen any divine apparition while to those who affirmed that they had heard a voice, he would gladly listen and would eagerly inquire into the particulars. And this, upon consideration, gave probable reason to conjecture that this daemon of Socrates was not an apparition, but rather a voice. Plutarch goes on writing, We think of the daemons as carrying a light with them, 
shining it on those who are able to perceive it. Therefore, there is no need of words such as men use with one another. You see, instead they enjoy a particular divine light. This may be illustrated from the nature and effect of voice. For instance, when striking a bronze shield, the noise is heard only by those who are nearby and is not perceived by others who are far away. So it is that the speeches of the daemon sound only to those we call holy and divine men. Today we might think of the daemon as being our conscience or our sense of right and wrong, but to Socrates and to Marcus Aurelius, the daemon was far more than a moral sense. It was a real voice that spoke to them no differently than the voice of a friend or a wise counselor. Here's something I've left out. There are stories about Socrates stopping in the middle of discussions to listen to this voice. Plato and Xenophon both write that he was often observed standing at times for hours in complete silence. While so engaged, Socrates was oblivious to everything and everyone around him. Time would pass. People would gather in amusement to watch, and suddenly, without any warning, Socrates would look around, then leave without a word, his conversation with his daemon apparently over. Whatever explanation is given to the divine voice, we do know that it was, in part, responsible for history's most famous philosopher, and that it guided a Roman emperor in his decision-making and in the continued development of Western thought. Join me for the next episode of Garner's Greek Mythology and visit patrickgarnerbooks.com. It's all about your favorite Greek gods, this podcast, and about my three novels. The novels are available on Amazon. Their underlying theme is that the Greek gods never left. As I say in every episode, they're here now. If you would prefer to listen, after all, you are listening to a podcast. One of the three, Homo Divinitus, is available as an audio book. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Patrick Garner.